Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries in Northwest Arkansas. God bless you, and welcome to our live radio broadcast on this Friday. What is today? The 19th of February, 2021. What an amazing time it is. I don't know if it's just because we're getting a little older, the time is going by quicker, but I don't know. It's going by really, really fast, and I think we're in, uh, in, in full motion and just some incredible things that are about to happen. You know, one of the things I've been doing uh, in, my, in my quiet time, in my personal Bible studies, I've been going through the Gospel of John again, and I, I, I come to one conclusion about the Gospel, one conclusion, and that is Jesus is awesome. I mean, right now in the Gospel of John, I, I just read John chapter 7 last night, and as I said, I've been going through each chapter, and um, last night is when, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord was battling it out, if you will, with his own brothers. They didn't believe in him. There was a tremendous amount of controversy at the feast in the temple when Jesus went up midway through. The scribes and Pharisees have been looking for him to kill him. He's been telling them, this is what you want to do. They're calling him uh, in names. They said he has a demon, you know, because he told them the truth. And uh, I just, t- this, this morning, looking at chapter 8, I, I just find it amazing while the Pharisees are doing everything in their power, he's driving them batsy, he's driving them nuts, he really is, these guys can't handle it, and, and the Lord is just so awesome, 
But while every one of the Pharisees goes to their own house, it says in John chapter 8, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. What do you think he did when he went to the Mount of Olives? Uh, You know, we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord is there. He's teaching. He's crying out, whoever's thirsty, uh, you know, come to me, and I'll give you water to drink that will flow out of your belly, out of your heart. Living waters, eternal life. I mean, I mean, he's really making some very powerful declarations as to who he is. And I believe when he goes to the Mount of Olives after the day, he's probably going right back to prayer. I, that was one of his resorts, if you will. He always resorted to areas like that, sometimes into the wilderness. But the Mount of Olives was a beautiful place for him, and he loved being there. And now he comes down in the morning the next day, And he's teaching again in the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. What a profound, profound statement. You know, I guarantee there's probably people that aren't Christians, don't go to church, that probably have heard this story before. You know, it's kind of like uh, guys I've heard before saying, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And they were anything but Christians, but they were in business, and so they render unto Caesar. Where would they get that from? Uh, there are many things that people say, and they don't know where it came from, but really it, it, the source is the scriptures. And here – Jesus is asking them to throw the first stone and whoever has no sin. And what does it say? Again, he stooped down. After saying that, he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted, convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. What was she caught in? The very act of adultery. This is an adulterous woman. This is a sinner. This is a uh, just in-your-face, human-natured, sinful woman. And so were all the men committing adultery with her, by the way. And so here we have a very sinful act. The law demanded justice. She's to be stoned. Cleanse the society of such a woman, right? But how does Jesus cleanse? The society. Jesus cleanses the society in that moment, not by the law of throwing stones at her and killing her. 
But Jesus cleanses the society by forgiving her, by cleansing her in the grace that he had now extended to her, by not condemning her, but calling her to change her life, go and sin no more. And aren't you happy that the things that you have done in your life, that Jesus did not employ the law to deal with you? I, you know, for me personally, if I were being judged by the law, I'd have been stoned 500 times. <laughs> and I'm not talking about being stoned, stoned. I'm talking about being physically stoned with stones. But think about it. If the law were to judge us, the law of Moses, God's law that he gave to Moses to give to his people, if that law were to be employed, that woman would have been killed that day. And all those people would have went away, went away justified, feeling like they did the right thing. You know, they, they honored God by keeping the law, but that's not Jesus. Jesus cleansed the society of that moment with his grace, his mercy, kindness, and his forgiveness. Now, we don't see in the scriptures where the woman who's taken in adultery is standing there begging or pleading for her life. She's not saying, Lord, please forgive me for what I've done. You don't get any sense of compunction or repentance from the woman, at least in the scriptures you don't. I mean, she's ready to die under the law. But what does Jesus do? I did not come to condemn, but I came to save lives. And he saves this woman's life, and I'm sure she was very thankful. And when, the, when she was standing alone and everyone was gone and the Lord looked at her and said, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. They're all gone. And he said to her, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I, do I condemn you. Go and change your life. Stop doing what you've been doing. And I have to believe that that act of kindness, that that woman repented. I really believe she stopped living the life she was living and probably became a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that the people that were there with the stones ready to carry out the law, that they were convinced that they were convinced in their own minds that they too were sinners. They too had broken the law. Maybe a few of those people with the stones were some of the guys that had committed adultery with her at another time in their lives. Who knows? Who knows? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says to her, well, he turns around to the people that he had been teaching in the temple. Remember, that's how it was. And he said, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees, therefore, said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Wow. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge... My judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Wow. 
Jesus in Matthew, in John chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, he's really battling it out with the religious leaders of his day. Those very religious leaders would have had the woman condemned. And I believe that we have to balance our message, the message of where we're living in the end times and Bible prophecy, and I believe all of that is very true, but I believe that we have to balance our message with an understanding while judgment is resting upon a nation that is about to be turned over to wrath and about to be destroyed, that the spirit of God's grace is still reaching out to individuals everywhere. And that as you and I, as light bearers, we are the light of the world. Jesus said he was the light of the world. But then he tells us in Matthew 5 that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth because we're to do what he did. We're to be like him. So even though we recognize God's judgment upon a nation and the nations of the earth, and we realize that we're moving headlong into the last days, that there are still people's lives that matter to the Lord. And I believe that we, being convinced in our own minds that we have received the grace of God, we have not gotten what we deserve for the things that we have done, that we need to be extraordinarily compassionate to the people around us. There are broken lives everywhere. There are women today that are prostitutes committing adultery. Men are committing adultery. People are stuck in their sins of pornography, homosexuality. One of the things I love about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is when Paul writes and says, and such were some of you, such were some of you, and he's talking to believers, for they had been in a lifestyle that was pleasing to the Lord, was drawing the wrath of God upon their lives. They heard the gospel, they confessed their sin, they repented, and Paul says, such were some of you. Is there mercy for the homosexual? Is there mercy for the lesbian? Is there mercy for the woman that's being caught in the act of adultery? Is there mercy for the man that's watching pornography? Is there mercy for the thief? Is there mercy for the proud man? Is there mercy for the man who trusts in his riches? Is there mercy? And the answer is absolutely yes. We don't know when the door of the ark is going to close, which means that the day of salvation will draw to an end. But as we are living today, it is our heart desire, I would imagine, of every one of us to be missionaries everywhere we go. And maybe we should start living life as though we are missionaries. Everything we do, reaching out, always looking for that one, always feeling about with the people that come into our midst, wondering, Lord, is this the one? Always acting as though we are on assignment from the Lord when he found that man at the pool of Bethesda. And the Lord, of all the people that had been there, the place was, had a multitude, but, the, but Jesus was led by the Spirit to that one man. And that man he told also, rise up, take up your mat, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. So his sins were forgiven that drew the sickness upon him, the affliction. We know that's true. And we should be on assignment like that. Everywhere we go, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, knowing who to interact with, understand that we are missionaries because we're all sent to go into the world and preach the gospel. Every one of us are. Now, there are missionaries that churches send out into other countries. I think America right now probably needs more missionaries than just about any other nation in the world. We are a very, very needful nation 
Um, and there needs to be not just Jesus loves you, but there needs to be this grace of God extended to sinners who know they're sinners, who understand they've been caught in the very act. They don't have a defense. They're not justifying themselves. I don't see in that woman that she had sat there saying, well, you know, I'm justified. No, she was caught. She was guilty. And she had no defense. And here we're talking about people in the world that are strung out on crystal methamphetamine. They're heroin addicts. They're cocaine addicts. Their lives are being destroyed by a drug addiction. They've lost their homes, their families, their loved ones. They've lost respect for themselves. They have no defense. They know they're guilty. And now they stand before the court of people with stones in their hands. And by law, they're supposed to die. And we need to extend to them the message that Jesus has extended to us. Hey, there's, there's a way out of this addiction. There's a way out of your lifestyle. There's a way out. And Jesus is the way out. And he extends mercy and grace. I just believe that that's how we should be living our lives as long as there is light and as long as we have the ability to live that way. Live as a missionary. You're walking out the front door of your home after being prayed up. You've got girded up. You've got the word of God in you. You've spent time talking to the Lord. You've been in the word. You've been praying in the spirit. You're looking for the supernatural intervention of God in your life to lead you, guide you, direct you, for they were led by the Holy Spirit. These are the sons of God, right, and the daughters of God. So you walk out that front door, you're going as a missionary. No, I'm going to work. You're going as a missionary to work. I'm just going to shop, okay? No, you're going to shop as a missionary. And you're on assignment. You're on assignment. And you're just allowing Holy Spirit. You're sensitive. Holy Spirit, where do I go? What store should I shop at today? You're sensitive. You're, You're being led. That's how Jesus was. When he went to the pool of Bethesda and the multitudes were there, he was led to that one man, that one man. He could have been led to anybody or everybody, but he was led to that one man. This is a way for you and I to live in compassion because sometimes we could sound um, hard. Sometimes we could sound uncompassionate. Sometimes in our end time preaching, we could sound like hardcore you know, and we give the appearance that we have no grace, no mercy, no love, with, that we're just being hard-hearted fools, you know, for God and religious and all that. And, and I just want you to know that's not who I am. I want you to know that the heart that God has put inside of me is always looking for those who need his grace, those who need to hear the good news. Do you know we live in a world today that people have basically been darkened? They're not being darkened. They are darkened. Their world to them is not waking up, hearing a podcast about Jesus. They're not living, thinking about the end times. They know something's wrong. But a lot of people have already had the clamps set on them. They're bitter. They're hard. They're anti-Christ in, in so many ways. What comes out of their heart and out of their mouth is revelatory. And you and I are being brought into their lives to bring light to them, not to condemn them but to bring light. Jesus said, I don't come to judge, but if I do judge. In other words, for the individuals that are darkened, that need light, he comes to give them light, to bring them into the light. But to those who know the light, but hate the light, 
because they love darkness. They don't want their deeds to be reproved. That's another story. There is judgment there. And Christian nation like America is kind of like saying to Israel, oh, Israel, you didn't know? Well, Israel, you did know. America, we do know. We know from the highest echelons of political power to everywhere in Hollywood, we do know. This is open war against God and against God's son, Jesus Christ, that they are contending with God. And that's why we know the, the wrath of God that is coming upon this nation. But in the midst of that, compassion for the lost. Somebody shows up in your life, they're condemned. They are guilty. They have no justification for their lifestyle. What do we give to them? Mercy, compassion, grace. Why? Because we have received mercy, compassion, and grace. We could become a bit hard-hearted if we're not careful. There's nothing wrong with going to the housetop and shouting as loud as you can, repent. There's nothing wrong with that. Temper the heart, though. Everything is balanced. Everything has to be tempered. Grace to all creation, black, white, red, brown, yellow, males, females, sinners, and saints. Okay? And I just, I just love Jesus for this, the way he is. I mean, one day he's battling it out with the, with the Pharisees. The next day he's saving a woman's life. And everything he did, you know, what was he teaching them in the temple? What was he actually teaching them? Could you imagine sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple and he's speaking? What that was like? What they were hearing? I mean, the two men on the road to Emmaus when the Lord spoke and they didn't know it was him after the resurrection, they said, did not our hearts burn? Because his words create that in people. That's the anointing. You're anointed by God to be a missionary. You're anointed by God to be on assignment today. And do you realize that one sinner that is saved by grace covers a multitude of sin? Did you know that? Did you know that when one sinner repents before God because of the message you shared with them, hopefully, right, all the angels of heaven rejoice? Do we understand that God's You know, the world's been under judgment for 6,000 years. We get that. It's not excusable because this is sin. This is what sin does. But God didn't send Jesus Christ to come into the world to condemn it. We know that. It is condemned. The world is condemned. You and I were condemned sinners. Romans chapter 5 says that condemnation came upon all men. We are all condemned sinners before we find our way to the justification that is found in Jesus Christ. So Christ came to be a light to the nations, Israel first, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile nations of the earth. And the gospel is preached to whosoever will. And whosoever believes shall be saved. Whoever does not believe shall be damned. Why? Because they're already damned. They're already condemned. You're not going to believe in me, therefore I damn you. No. You don't believe there's no way out of the damnation you're already in. You're damned. You're condemned. You're a human being out of the loins of Adam, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. You are damned and condemned to eternal separation from God. 
Well, we want to bring light. We want to bring salvation, and that salvation is in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for the whole world. He really does love, and it is not his will that any would perish. So I would say to you today, however and whoever is listening today, seek the Lord on this. How, Father, can I be a missionary today in my own neighborhood? How can I be on assignment today everywhere I go? And if I'm going to stay home today, help me to press into you a little bit more. Help me to spend time walking around the house and praying in the Holy Ghost. Help me to sing the song of the Lord. Help me to bring the melody of my affections for you. I don't want to just have a wasted day. I want to utilize my time carefully, for the Bible says, uh, uh, redeeming the time for the days are evil. So redeem your time wherever you go, whatever you do. Always have a mindset. I'm a missionary. I'm on assignment. And when I'm alone with the Lord, I'm praying. I'm seeking God. I'm studying. I'm breaking bread with my friends. I'm having fellowship. You know, I don't want to spend my time in the flesh. I want to be in the spirit. I want to pray myself through the clouds of adversity and depression and sorrow and sadness. I want to get up. I want to live my life. I want to have energy today. I want to have life in me today. I have a life-giving spirit. I am a life-giving spirit. And so I want to know the quality of life. And that's always in relationship with God. You know that. So these things are happening. Michelle says, I have such a hard time with moving past judgment. Well, Michelle, here's the really cool thing. Your judgment has been taken away in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me explain it to you this way. We did a study on this earlier in the week, I believe. In Psalm 51, when King David, here's the king of Israel, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has her husband murdered. He's got blood on his hands. He's in a delusion. Nathan the prophet comes and wakes him up from his delusion and says, you're the man. Well, David is praying in Psalm 51 to be released from this blood guiltiness, this blood guiltiness. He shed innocent blood. Her husband was innocent, and he committed adultery and took from that man his wife. He's as guilty as guilty could be, and yet he prays this prayer, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And he's under the Old Testament, but he knows God. The anointing's on his life. The Spirit of the Lord, he's acquainted with the Spirit of the Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. What does that word wash mean in the Hebrew? It literally means to tread down or to trample under the feet. Tread down and trample under the feet my iniquity. What does the word iniquity mean? The word iniquity means my perversion or my depravity. See, iniquity is different than sin. There are sins that are easy. You know, forgive me, I got angry. But then there are iniquities that create bondage in people's lives. People that have been involved in sexual sin. People that have been involved in drug addiction people that have been involved in murder. There are certain things that, we, that mankind does that is iniquitous, creates a perversion and a depravity so dark and so deep 
that casual forgiveness never works. So David prays a mystery. Wash me. Wash my perversion. Trample, tread underfoot my perversion, my depravity that came to me through my sin. The act for David, it was real. And then after he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, then he says, cleanse me from my sin. The word cleanse there means to make bright. And you see, without the cleansing fount of the blood and water that flowed out of the side of Jesus, remember, it wasn't just blood that flowed out of his body. It was blood and water that came out of his side. And that blood and that water is the washing. And that blood that was shed was trampled. It was tread. It, was, it is intense blood. It is intense blood. Notice that he was taken to the whipping post. <clears throat> Notice that they took those sharp cords and tore his flesh and they ripped his beard out of his face and they put thorns in his head and they, you know, th- this was not easy. He was being trampled. He was being treaded. Why? Because that's what would be necessary to dealing with the depravity and the perversion in the creation and all that would call upon his name. When we hear things like have a hard time with moving past judgment, um, if if you feel judgment for what you've done, let's move past it today. Have you committed a sin like the adulterous woman? She was forgiven. Have you had a man murdered, committed adultery? That sin was forgiven. And the word forgiveness means to let go, to release. And it's time to let go of whatever judgment you're feeling because God cannot have an end-time army standing in the gap in the last days that have guilt, shame, or condemnation in their hearts or in their minds or There could be no reproach, and God came to remove the reproach from the whole human race through the treading down of his son, and that blood that was shed was definitely a trampling and a treading. So wash me thoroughly, tread upon that perverse, depraved spirit, cleanse my conscience, and make me bright. Cleanse me from my sin. Make me bright. Make me have the ability to have light. Because as long as there's guilt, shame, or condemnation, it's a dark cloud, and it's holding back the light. One of the great things we know about flying on an airplane, whether you're in a storm and you leave and it's gray, a few minutes later, man, you're above the clouds. It's a blue sky, and the sun is shining. And the sun is ready to shine in our hearts right now if we'll allow him to do so. But we need to ascend We need to rise above the clouds of obscurity, guilt, shame, condemnation, reproach. Whether it is reproach for my own sins or whether it is reproach because of the sins of my forefathers to the third and fourth generation. Now, also, it's really important when it comes to judgment to make sure that we have forgiven everybody. And this is where it gets a little tough, isn't it? We want to be forgiven. We need to forgive because it's very clear in Scripture. If we don't forgive, we cannot be forgiven. And so what about the woman who was molested? What about the young boy who was molested? The horrible things that happen to people when they're young. You know what happens with those impressions, those 
fears, that trauma, those experiences. And believe me, it all happens when we're pretty young or even in the womb or we're visited with the generational bloodline curses. We may have a hard time forgiving people, and we may justify it. And we may yell at people to tell us to forgive and say, how dare you? You have no idea what I've been through. That is simply a sign I haven't forgiven the person that did what they did to me. And as long as we do not forgive, we can never expect to taste and experience forgiveness. That's just a fact. That's just the truth. Everything is about forgiveness. People work on forgiving themselves, and that's cool. That sounds pretty noble. I need to forgive myself for what I did. That's real. But no, you really need to forgive maybe your father, maybe your mother, maybe your sibling. Maybe you need to forgive the people that hurt you the most. And how do you do that? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, recognizing that that blood that was tread and trampled upon, it cost something. You could apply the blood. See, there was a cost for you and I. We were purchased with blood. And I need to make the point, it's not a light thing. It's a very strong, deep thing when we're talking about the blood. So let's move beyond judgment. You say, well, how can I just do that? By a decision. It is your will that must be employed. Do you, do you, you want to stay under judgment? Do you want to make yourself feel good? Maybe you were the offender. Maybe you did the trauma to someone else. And maybe the reason why we can't get beyond judgment is because we, still, we just can't forgive ourselves for what we did. Now we have to work on that. You have to. You have to forgive yourself. Why? Because if you don't, you're denying Jesus Christ, his right. You're denying his work on the cross. And, ready? You're full of pride. You're full of pride. Oh, I've done something so horrible. It is a form of pride. You may not have recognized that, but it is. Who are you to say that you can't forgive yourself when Jesus Christ, your Lord, your creator, has forgiven you? It's only pride. So let us confess our pride, humble ourselves, and thank the Lord. And you know what you do? You go back and you visit those areas and say, Lord, I would never do that again. I am so sorry for what I've done. And the person that did it to me, Lord, I just release them right now. They know not what they do. You've got to find that kind of communion in your heart with the Father where you're coming into agreement with him. Michelle says, that's my main problem, and my bloodline is thick with hatred. I try hard, but when they repeat the same actions over and over, and yes, very prideful. Okay, so you're admitting it. So you have bloodline curses. So what do we do with bloodline curses? You need to get a book. My wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, wrote a book. And it's called Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. You know how many times I've read that book in my life since I've been, even before I was married to Patricia, I read that book 25 times easy I, in the midst of the night when I was having deep spiritual warfare. I bring my Bible in that book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. The anointing, one of my dear friends said on a radio broadcast, the anointing on the book brings deliverance while you're reading it. So you need to 
again, with these bloodline curses, they need to be addressed. Maybe you need somebody like a person that's uh, active um, in the deliverance ministry and can work with you to come alongside of you and pray. And Patricia, my, my wife, she's been doing it for almost 40 years, and it's just a gift that God gave her. I mean, it's just a gift. And it's, it's all the time. And inevitably, people get around that anointing, and a work begins. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, done. It's a done deal. Other times it takes a little work. But if there's a heavy-duty bloodline curse of hate, well, we got to go back there. we got to take the sword of the Spirit. we got to cut off that root. we got to confess the sins of our fathers and our forefathers, our mothers and our foremothers, right? we got to get in there and go to work. But what a great day to go to work. What a great day to shake loose. Now, the devil, you have to understand something about this. This is demonic warfare. Because most of the time when trauma comes, whatever created that hate, whatever that is coming from, whatever the experience was, it opens the door to a demonic spirit. And what Patricia wrote in her book, based on the word of God, is that our sin or experiences or traumas, phobias, fears, whatever, demons enter into the soul of the person, not the spirit. If you're born again, if you have a born, if you're a born again Christian, your spirit is sanctified. Your spirit is holy. Your spirit is regenerated by God himself. Satan can't touch your spirit, but we're tripart beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. So where do the devils dwell? Well, according to what Patricia wrote, in the soul. Where's the soul? That's your mind, your will, your emotions. That's your memories. Do you have a lot of memories from the past? That's a demonic spirit that keeps bringing stuff up to make you feel guilty, ashamed, condemned, to put reproach on you, or to get you angry about what happened. That's demonic. You have to deal with that demonic. You got to cast out the demon. Then the cleansing could come. A lot of times people are trying to wash and cleanse, but they've never dealt with the demonic presence. And that's kind of like, washing a pig, and his nature is to go right back into the mud again. So you got to cast out the demon and change that and give a chance to the nature transformation. Why? Because we're all human natured, right? But when we're born again, we become partakers of what? The divine nature. And this is what we're going for. We want to transform. We want to move into our new creation reality. For if any man, woman be in Christ Jesus, things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For he or she is a new creation. And that's what we desire. We want to walk in new creation. I can't live in the past. Romans chapter 6 gives me permission to not have to live out of the old experience of my human nature. I can live in newness of life, walk in the spirit, be totally forgiven and cleansed, but it'll never happen until your faith and my faith apprehend the work of Christ on the cross and the legal documentation in the word of God. You, and you're not getting away with anything. You just have a legal right to call upon the name of the Lord and be forgiven and delivered from whatever the devil's done or whatever you've done. So it's a working out of our salvation. It's a working out. Sarah says demons can't inhabit where the Holy Spirit lives. Believers struggle with strongholds, and it's a matter of rejecting the temptation like Jesus did by using the sword of the Spirit. That's exactly right. Now, a lot of Christians have said, well, because I'm now a Christian, I cannot have a demon. But again, let's separate that. 
our spirit and the Holy Spirit are infused together as one, and that is sanctified. But demon spirits could dwell in the soul of a Christian. Or else you'd have to continue the line of thought, well, because Jesus is there, a devil can't be there. Then you'd have to say, well, if Jesus is in me, who is the healer, then sickness can't be in my body. Because how could sickness be with the healer? No. Sickness comes, and you've got to stand up, and you have to fight for your rights. But sickness comes upon the body, usually because of sin, other times for other reasons. But most of the time, sin is a reason for sickness and disease. And it could be generational, unconfessed sin. Who knows what it is? But they can dwell together, and one's going to take the ascendancy over the other. But our spirit, I agree, we're growing, maturing, we're one, we're unioned with Christ, absolutely. Um, Sarah says they can't, uh, let's see, they can't, they can afflict you but not reside. Well, we disagree on that kindly, Sarah, absolutely disagree. Um, I've, we have met in the deliverance ministry over 40 years, men and women who aren't just dealing with their flesh, but are actually dealing with inward, controlling, demonic possession, even though they're, they believe and have received the Holy Spirit. So, but it's a big argument, and, you know, people have to believe what they believe. But a lot of times by telling people that you don't have a demon and are trying to get things cleaned up, they're not dealing with the demonic, and so they really never get delivered fully. I've experienced for myself what it was like to be a believer in Jesus Christ and have demonic spirit controlling in my soul. I could give you a book of stories about that one. But it's not just me. It's people all over the world. Better thing to do is to go into those memories and bind and rebuke and cast out the demonic spirit. Better to go in there when a demonic presence comes in, begins to manifest to deal with it rather than just ignore it and try to make it a psychological thing. But we can go on. Let's see. Johnny Bargo. Who is Johnny Bargo? Hey, Vinny Pots and Pans, by forgiving does not mean you are going to have a relationship with the person you are forgiven. Well, let me tell you a story about that, Vinny. Could, could not be. But here's a story about the missionaries that went down to South America, and you probably heard the story. It was called Seeds of the Martyrs. I actually, the man that led me to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul Petit, did a story when he worked for CBN with Pat Robertson, and he did a story and won a Dove Award on the story. And the story was about these missionaries that went down to South America to an un, in, uh, a place where the gospel had not been preached. Sure enough, they flew in. I believe there were four of them. And the local tribe murdered them, killed them. The missionaries were murdered. Time passed by. It hit the news everywhere. The wives, the wives of the murdered missionaries went down to that place and began to do good works. They, had, they cut the hair of these people. They shared the gospel. And it turns out that the 98% or so of that entire tribe repented, found faith in Jesus Christ because people came back to a situation that was horrible and they shared Christ. Um, if Jesus, if somebody did something to Jesus, and they repented, would he have relationship with them? Probably. Now, if they don't repent, then obviously that's not going to happen. But I don't think we should ever discount 
the possibility of somebody having done us wrong and then them getting the grace of God and we having the grace of God where God can't make a miraculous thing happen in that. Okay. But most time we need to forgive. We need to forget. We need to move on. But uh, if we, if we carry, that's it. I'll, I'll never be connected again. We may have to go a little deeper. All right. Sam, uh, Sandra Matlow says, I believe if your heart is close enough to Jesus and you serve him with all you have, he's not going to let anything harm you, but Satan will try his best to harm you, but Jesus' blood within you, he protects us. All right, so Jesus, for 2,000 years, has allowed his saints to be martyred. The disciples were drugged through the streets of Greece. They were cut in half. They were hung upside down on crosses. They were killed. Throughout the ages of the church age, the dispensations, whether it's the Inquisition, the Reformation, the Crusades, persecution has always broken out against God's kids. Even today, uh, over in Nigeria, Syria, different parts of the world, genocidal murder that's taking place. So is there a place, I believe, based upon our knowledge, for my people perish for a lack of knowledge, based upon our knowledge, of our spiritual rights in the spiritual kingdom, um, we probably have more of an access to what you're saying to be true. There is a protection, but we need to know how to utilize it. We need to know how to walk in that protection from the Lord. Um, All right, so did Mary have demons still after Jesus cast them out? No, I don't believe she did, but they had to be cast out. So once you cast out a demon, what are you supposed to do? Jesus said, when a demon is cast out, it goes through dry places and seeking rest. Finding none, it returns to its own house, whose house were we, and knocks on the door, and he finds it swept and clean but empty. In other words, there's no Holy Spirit. There's no word of God. There's nothing there. Well, this demon that was cast out, tries to come back, and this one actually does, and brings seven more demons worse than himself. And they go back, and the, and, the, and the latter state of that man is worse than the beginning. Okay? So Satan is always looking for access. What is important for you and I is once we have gone through a thorough cleansing, a deliverance, and have cast out demons out of our soul, is to keep ourselves protected with the word of God, with the armor of God, with the spirit of God, and not allow demons to come back in again, because Satan's always going to try to come back in. That's just the spiritual warfare that we really are living in. Uh, Michelle says, that makes sense. I am the woman that called your show a few years ago asking why I had to be a member to be baptized. I was finally baptized, but my soul is still battling. All right. Why did you have to be a member to be baptized? Um, I don't know. If you had come to us, I think, um, and you said, I I just want to be baptized, I believe we would have asked you, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you ready to repent and and to do that? Um, Why membership is needed sounds a little traditional to me. I hope that didn't come from our end. Let us know if it did, because that doesn't make any sense to me. We don't normally operate that way. All right, so I've got a call coming in right now, area code 479-321. Let me say good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. 
Hello, area code four seven nine three two one. Are you there? Okay, we're not getting any conversation on that end. All right, Sarah says, "Is it true?" Oh wait, is it true? This is from Sandra uh, Sandra Matlow that the Bible says if you sin, there will be seven more demons come into you. Just wanted to ask about that. It's not when you sin. It you know, if we sin, I write unto you. 1 John chapter 1, that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we sin, what do we do? What, what is sin? Well, anything that's not faith is sin, right? So what do we do if we find ourselves sinning? Confess. Now, we're not talking about willfully sinning. Willfully. You know, hey, I've been clean from pornography, um, but you know, I just want to go back. I, I, I'm, I'm delivered. I have the power of God in my life. I don't want, you know, I have the, the ability to resist through the strength of the Holy Spirit, for God will make a way out with every temptation. For there is no temptation that is uncommon to man uh, that is, it will overtake you, but God is able to make a way out, right? First Corinthians chapter 10. So, but if I choose to go back, I'm playing roulette with my soul. If I go back to my sin and I open that door again, most likely I am opening a door to a satanic presence back into my soul. Then I have to go through the process again. It's not a pretty thing and it's not an easy thing. And I don't know how people view that or not, but I think the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That if I got delivered from something and I don't have to do it anymore because there's a greater power, I don't want to yield to that. That would terrify me. Wouldn't it terrify you? All right. Not you. Thank you, Michelle. I needed to know that. Sarah says, exactly. When we are baptized by water in Holy Spirit, I believe it's the same things. Baptized by water in the Holy Spirit, I believe it's the same things. We are a new creation. But those who were demon-possessed and demons were able to come back were they believers and Holy Spirit-filled. I struggled with a stronghold for 14 years, which I thought was a spiritual demonic stronghold. However, since I've started rebuking it and using the sword of the spirit and rebuking it with scripture, I don't struggle. You're getting the victory because you're rebuking the spirits. You're coming against that demonic presence, that sin in your life, and you're not participating. If you went back and participated in a particular sin, uh, that those spirits that you've been battling probably um, would be manifesting. I would imagine. I believe that's so. Uh, you might want to get the book Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Give it another read and be teachable. You know, we've been in this for a while, so we are teachable when we're willing to, you know, find out where we need to. Uh, Sarah's going to call in in just a moment. That's good news. Good for you, Sarah. So we have this going on. And what the message here today is about you, about me, being forgiven. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you had some trauma happen to you, an experience, and you had not forgiven that individual or those individuals for what they did, would you say that's probably a demonic spirit that's blocking the grace of God from being fulfilled in your life? Would you say that if you're not willing to forgive, that something has entered in? Now, you believe in Jesus. You believe in the word of God. I've seen women come up and pound a table and say, I will never forgive her for what she did. 
And I thought, whoa, that was a spirit. So if there's anything of unforgiveness, that in and of itself is a spirit, wouldn't you say? I think so. I'm pretty sure about this. You know, I don't, I may be out of my league on this one, by the way. Praise the Lord. I like Vinnie Potts and Pans. Love and compassion are the key to the Lord's praise. I agree, man. So we are on assignment. We are the missionaries of this moment. You don't have to be part of a group to be a missionary or to be on assignment. You can absolutely go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Michelle's asking, where can I get the book? Michelle, I'll tell you what. Send us your address. You can text it to me. I'll give you my phone number. And we'll make sure that we get a book shipped out to you. Our website has the book, but a few times on nwmglobal.org, there's there's something wrong with the bookstore, and it needs to get repaired. But if you'll send us an address, we'll make sure to get uh, somebody to send out a book to you. Miriam will send a book out to you. She's our book gal. She's awesome at what she does. So my phone number, you could write this down, area code is 858 Four, eight seven one two. So write that down, Michelle. Eight five eight eight six four eight seven one two. All right. So text me your your address. We'll get the book out. Let's hear from our sister Sarah, all the way from San Diego, California. Good morning, Sarah. God bless you. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. God bless you. Good. Okay. So let's, Thank you. Let's... Okay. Yes. No, because I was of the same up until probably like a month or so ago. I was absolutely 100% of the same um, mindset as you as far as like, you know, demonic possession, et cetera. But then I heard a sermon and like kind of he had pointed out probably like six different verses in scripture and I can send those over to you. But um it got me thinking as far as like, can Christians be possessed by demons? And I feel like when we say that they can, I definitely believe that we struggle with like strongholds that, you know, we're oppressed by demons. And I'm going to give you an, a perfect example versus being possessed. Um, so in, I believe it's John 13, um, I'm just confirming 27 when it's when it's referring to Judas and it says and then Satan entered him. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yep. Here you're great. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Versus um, because he was not of Christ, right? He wasn't a true believer, although he did follow Christ. He wasn't a true believer in Christ. Versus um, I'm looking shortly after. Um, one second, I'm sorry. Um, but basically, Jesus tells Peter, when Peter says that he will not deny Christ, Jesus tells Peter that Satan has sought to um, basically weed Peter out as wheat, but Jesus has prayed for Peter that he would not lose his faith, but that he would return back to him so he can build up his brothers in the faith. I'm looking for that verse. It's really bugging me because I just had it opened. Um, but anyways, it's kind of, I believe, the same thing as far as, like, Jesus interceding on our behalf and protecting us 
like Satan can try and oppress us as much as he wants, but he cannot possess us. Same thing with demonic possession or oppression, right? Like I, I had mentioned, I struggled with what I thought was a demonic or, you know, whatever spiritual stronghold for 14 years. I felt like I just, I couldn't get free of it. I was, you know, depressed and what have you. And then that sermon that I had mentioned, I felt gave me the tools to, you know, when we feel like we are struggling with the strongholds or even temptation or sin, we rebuke it just like Jesus did when he was being tempted in the wilderness. And we use the sword of the spirit scripture to combat it and to fight against it. So for example, like, I don't know if you're struggling with, I don't know, let's just say like adultery, you quote, you rebuke it. And then you quote scripture. Um, it is written, thou shall not commit adultery, you know, and then the other verses that are similar to that. And then immediately, like, you know, I noticed, not that that, you know, not that that's what I struggle with, but like whatever it is, like whether it's drunkenness or, um, you know, smoking or what have you, like it, it just, I feel like at least for me that that's been a huge, huge thing. Okay. All right. So, um, for example, and I hear what you're saying, by the way, we, we've looked at those passages very good. Um, God looks at, or Jesus looked at Peter one day and he said, get behind me, Satan, right? And it's like, well, that's just being adversarial. Have you, you know, the person that commits adultery, uh, we know a lot of people in the body of Christ, you can look in their eyes and they have a spirit of lust. They've been involved in pornography. They, they're addicted to pornography. Um, you have people that have real anger issues. They, they, they can explode at different moments. Um, there are people that have Alzheimer's. We call Alzheimer's a mental disease or some kind of mental affliction. Um, these are really genuinely demonic possessions. And when you see a spirit of lust in somebody that has not really fully repented for their sin, that spirit of lust has, in, has lodged itself, and you see that. Or somebody with pride, a spirit of pride, you can hear it, you can see it. That spirit has taken root in their personality and it's very, it's very difficult at times to distinguish between spirit and someone's flesh nature, and yet it becomes obvious spirit of discernment. We're all given a gift to discern spirit, and we have to understand what spirit is in operation at different times. So you and I have a little bit of a disagreement at the moment, which is mm-hmm. fine. We have a disagreement. I just think that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I believe that what we see in this world and in the church are some very heavy-duty, demonic, spiritual oppressions, possessions. There's a big argument between the two. But um, I do believe that demons are, uh, in, in, do inhabit people in their soul realm and that love the Lord. And you don't. You're fighting your warfare the way you are. And, you know, what will, how will we ever know the truth? Well, we just, I guess we're just going to know by, you know, as we go and – you know, I don't want to just make everybody think there's a demon behind every bush, Sarah, because I believe there's 50 behind every bush. <laughs> right. But my only, yeah. my only concern is, and, and again, because I, I used to have this mentality, is I fear that when people think that they are being possessed by demons, they don't feel like they have the power themselves in Christ 
to to get rid of that. Do you know what I mean? Like seeking Jesus. They feel mm-hmm. like they need to seek someone to like cast out demons versus realizing that Holy Spirit, Jesus has the ultimate power to deliver people. Do you know what I mean? So I just, I, that would be my only concern is having people feel like they cannot necessarily get free themselves if they're seeking God and reading scripture and what have you. That would be my only concern. And that's a great concern. And I think what, what I'm hearing is uh, a little, a little boy, little girl that gets on the bike the first time they need the training wheels. They need somebody to help them along the way until eventually they can ride on their own. And I think sometimes people do come into this walk and they have homosexual backgrounds all kinds of horrible addictions, whatever the case may be. And the enemy has been destroying them from the inside out with the addictions, mentally tormenting them. And they do need some help every once in a while. And so there is a ministry of deliverance to the body of Christ, just like there is an apostolic prophetic teaching at mantles. So, but eventually the believer does need to come to a place of confidence um, but when you've been beat up your whole life, sometimes you need somebody to come alongside of you that knows how to deal with this kind of demonic presence and help you and teach you Absolutely. how to stand on your own. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Good. Well, let's all get cool. free of well, demons you. one way or the other. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> thank off. you. Uh, you did great. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. All Have right. a great day. Yeah. You do the same. All right, and I have another call coming in. It's Patricia Joy Xavier, the author of the book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Let's go ahead and take that call this morning and say good morning, Patricia. How did I get into this territory? Good morning, Patricia. Are you there? Uh Uh-oh, hold on. Let's see what happened here. Good morning, Patricia. Now I hear you. Yes, my dear. How did I get into this position this morning? Well, I think you did a very, very good job, and I'm very blessed by what you did say and how you handled it. And I know it's a difficult one. The first thing is not to argue about whether or not it's possession. Because in the Greek translation, going into the depth, even in the Hebrew, it means afflicted by. And we have to understand also that Paul, the apostle himself, was afflicted in his flesh by Satan. And I know we don't like to bring that up too often, but he was buffeted, same word. And in that being buffeted, God told him, let it go. My grace is sufficient, in which it is. But he put him through that kind of deliverance by the word he gave him. We also have to understand that sickness and disease is not of God. If you look at any kind of cell of whatever the sickness and disease may be, cancer or what have you, you're going to find living entities within that cell. And it is destructive and kills. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's within the body of the individual. Jesus Christ died on the cross that we may be freed from sickness, disease, and also and demonic presence. It's to set the captives free in every way, or else he wouldn't have given us the power to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He wouldn't give us the power of authority over demonic presence in which he has. 
And he said, what I do, you shall do also. Even greater things shall you do because I come to send the Holy Spirit to man. Hallelujah. The power of the Holy Spirit to be empowered by us. And we are thankful for that. And he said that we would do the same. So we walk the face of this earth, bringing the kingdom of God to mankind, casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead. And he said we should do the same. So in that, we have to have a deeper understanding of how this all works. And when a person is in bondage and they can't get set free, it is wonderful to have somebody around and about to cast that demon out. And believe me, it works. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Patricia, let me just uh, see if I could formulate this thought in my mind that I'm hearing as you're speaking. I think the one thing that we need to all come into agreement on is that, number one, demons are real, whether they're called foul spirits, unclean spirits, devils. They are real. And because demons are real, if we can conclude that, we do understand that scripturally a legion of demons could dwell in a person's soul. Unclean spirits are in people. Jesus spent most of his ministry casting devils out of the people. Two-thirds of his ministry were casting demons out of people. And so if we could all agree that demons do exist, they do inhabit human beings, then what I'm hearing you say, now, when we receive Jesus Christ, that does not automatically cast out demons. What we have done is received Christ into our heart to begin the work of emancipation. Christ is given to us to be the greater one to do the work of binding, rebuking, casting out, dislodging, going to war with these demons. So it's not as though Christ comes in and the others disappear. It's Christ comes in to go to war against. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes, absolutely it is. And then we are empowered by the authority in Jesus' name, not in ourselves, but the authority in Jesus' name to do the very same. He told the apostles before he resurrected, he said, go into all the world and teach them everything I taught you to do. And that has been what has been missing. The kingdom of God is established on what Jesus did when he walked the face of this earth. He didn't teach on salvation, though he was salvation itself. And what was he saving? He was saving us from sickness, disease. He was saving us from sin. He was saving us from the demonic. And he overcame Satan on the cross. And yes, Satan still has the right if there is sin, to continue to buffet us, and that is what goes Dave, on. You need to talk now, a little. You need to talk a little bit louder into your phone. Uh, they're having a hard time hearing you. Can you go a little closer to your phone? Okay, I will. But what is a good example of this? Is you have a couple, or a man or a woman in church, and they're having sensual thoughts about another, and then they fall into sin because of it. The sin issue is they. They uh, took those thoughts, and they didn't take them into the hand of Christ, but they utilized them for their own desires. And then they get into sin, the falling, uh, and having sexual intercourse. In that, Paul calls it a great mystery when the two become one. Why? Because there is an exchange 
of the things that go on in their soul. And so we take on these other spirits under the circumstances, and they are being taken on. That's what familiar spirits are. And so we have that. That goes from generation to generation, and they have to be severed if you're not aware of them, wondering why you go into the same sin all the time and you don't get the victory. Well, the answer to that is you have a demonic presence. Call it over you, around you, in you. It doesn't matter. It's a spirit. And that's what I think is important. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. And this is a conversation we're going to have to pick up on another time. And I want to thank you for calling in, Patricia Joy. And we need to have you um, on the broadcast with us to just continue to go through. The bottom line is, the bottom line to all of our listeners today is we don't want demons at all to be a part of our existence. We can't wish them away. We can't pretend they're not there. Obviously, if we're told to put on the whole armor of God because we're in a spiritual battle, demons are working against us all the time in thought, in emotion. They're firing their arrows against us. We are in a spiritual battle. To that, there's no doubt. What I want to be and what you want is to walk in a pure heart, in holiness, tasting that the Lord is good. This is our desire. So if we can get cleaned up internally first, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, tread down, trample underfoot my depravity and perversion, and then make me bright through the washing of the water. So the blood in the water poured out of the side, the blood is the hardcore cleansing agent, the washing. The water comes behind and cleans it out so that the brightness can come. Now I have my armor. I'm doing battle with the enemy out here. I'm on assignment to find that one today. I'm a missionary going out into the field, God's field, and I'm looking to bring the gospel message to as many as whoever I can. And this is all happening in the midst of end-time Bible prophecy, a nation under judgment, people that know better but hate the light. This is all happening at the same time. And, Patricia, a final word before we go today. Is there anything else you'd like to share before I get rolling down the road? I think the greatest work of our Lord on the cross was to come. A little louder, babe. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, as loud as you can go. Okay. I believe the greatest work that Christ did on the cross was to come and he does it in many different ways and methods. And deliverance has been a great one for people who have not been able to get set free. Amen. Amen. And I've been a recipient of the, of the deliverance ministry of Christ uh, through members of the body of Christ, you being one of the most profound uh, teachers in my life, and the anointing and the gift to get in there and deal with so many deep roots and uh, this is working out our salvation. This is what we do. Patricia, I'm going to get running. I'm going to say goodbye for right now. Thank you for calling in. Remember the book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. If you would like to get a copy of that book and give it your own study and kind of judge it yourself, uh, just give me a phone call, area code 858-864-8712. Let me say it one more time, 858-864-8712. 
Send me your address. I'll make sure I get those addresses to Miriam. Miriam will mail a book out to you. And I, I believe you'll be very blessed by the book. As, as my friend said, there's an anointing on it. And we'll learn together, okay? Um, feeling good today? Don't feel demon-possessed? Hallelujah. But we don't live by our feelings either, huh? It's by faith. And just knowing that where we used to be, we're not there today. And um, hallelujah. And remember, Thursday, every Thursday night, you can tune in on Facebook or YouTube, and we're streaming our deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights Roundtable, every Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So why don't you put that on your calendar every Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, YouTube, just like here, and come and join us, and you'll see Patricia live in action and that brilliant round table of men and women of faith. You'll love them. We have a lot of fun. We really do. And even actually had some deliverances while we were there. So praise the Lord. Pass the ammunition. God is good. I'm Vincent Xavier. I'll see you Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, balance is the key to everything. We love you. God bless you. And Brother Mark down there in Mexico, I love you, man. God bless your heart. Look forward to interviewing you sometime next week. I have your email address. I'll give you a shout. Shalom. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great weekend and a great Shabbat today. Bye-bye.